to go back to what we have been spending our time with in a study of the Proverbs and looking at Solomon's teachings to his son about how to live the, the good life now. And he has spent a lot of his time talking about the empty promises of wealth and about the need to acquire wisdom and the choices that he's going to make down the road in his important decisions in his life. And, and this morning I want to look at the, there's a lot of talk by Solomon about the need for a pure and sincere heart before God. And before we begin to look at those Proverbs, I would like to show you one New Testament passage where Paul makes this need very important to our lives. Romans 12 and verse 1. I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, your reasonable service. And what I want to really circle there for you is that word reasonable, that we are coming before God and God is desiring our lives as a sacrifice. Now notice that it's not a, okay, one hour a week sacrifice, but everything about our lives, everything about our character, our, our intents, our heart, our desires, all of it put before God. In fact, Paul seems to refer almost in an allusion to the Old Testament of a burnt offering where everything was laid upon the altar and all of it was offered up before God. And so here, you and I, though not dead, as alive, are to be a sacrifice before God and that this is reasonable. This is what is logical. In fact, that's where we get our word logical. And if you transliterated that word reasonable out, this is what's rational. This is what is logical for us before God, is to offer everything about us before God, not just simply externals or exteriors, but every bit of us, the, the acts of worship, the external, absolutely, but also the internal, the heart before God. And that's what Solomon tries to express to his son in, in a lot of the different Proverbs. We're just going to take a few of them. Notice like Proverbs chapter 15. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. Now I first want to point out, notice here is the person who is bringing forth the exterior things. He's bringing the sacrifice but the rest of his life is not in order. And he is called the wicked person, even though he's doing what seems to be right in the sight of God. He's bringing the offering. He's doing what God has required according to the law. Bring your offerings before God. Bring your peace offerings and your sin offerings and your burnt offerings. This is what this person is doing. He is clearly obeying God's law, but he is defined as wicked because there are other issues at heart. Notice the rest of it. The way of the wicked is abomination. Though he has these externals in place, the rest of his life does not match that. And I want us to see the word abomination. God doesn't use that word an awful lot in the Scriptures. There's times when He really pulls out a word that He really wants us to see. This is something that God hates. In fact, I liked God's word translation when it said, a sacrifice brought by wicked people is disgusting to the Lord. That, that gets the feel of it. God hates it. 
It's disgusting to God. He doesn't want any part of that. And sometimes we think, oh, we've got all of these externals and that's okay. And here Solomon pulls his son aside and said, now look, my son, it is absolutely an abomination. It's disgusting. God hates when we bring the external things before God, but do not have a heart that is set properly in service to God. And so I would just term it this way in talking about this proverb and a couple others, what we are looking at is God is telling us about the evil that exists in an insincere heart before God. A heart that is not true to God, that is not desiring to do what God wants, but is doing things on the externals that seem good. Insincere heart, though, because the heart's not behind the X. In fact, I'd like to say it this way to you. Can I tell you how to live the miserable life now? We're doing all this work on how to live the good life now. Let me tell you how to live the miserable life right now. Live an externally religious life with absolutely no heart behind it. I promise you that is one of the more miserable ways to live life. Is to have just enough religion, just enough God in your life to make you miserable. No, it doesn't sink down into the heart. You don't really care about it, but you keep to all of the external activities. I mean, friends, that's the way to live a miserable life. But it's not just with God. That's with everything. If you don't put your heart behind it, you won't like it. I can go to Disney World and moan and complain about it is too hot, there's too many lines, there's too many people at the happiest place on earth, right? What's the problem? My heart's not in it. I might go there and just drag myself along. It doesn't matter what activity you and I engage ourselves in. If you and I have no desire and do not engage our hearts and our minds in what we are trying to accomplish, you and I will be miserable. How else are you miserable at Disney World? (laughs) You don't engage your heart. You don't care. You don't have your mind involved. And that's all Solomon is trying to tell his son is you need to realize that that kind of heart before God is absolutely disgusting. It's abominable to him. He doesn't want any part of that. And we have to recognize that. And so often we look at service to God and we feel like, you know, well, I'm just not getting anything out of it. It's not doing anything for me. I'm not not getting any value behind it. And I would want to ask, is your heart involved? Have you really set your heart into the things of what's trying to be done? So I think so often we're not. And we are missing out on some of the joys that God wants us to have. I'm going to list some symptoms that your heart is not involved. Uh, allow me to crush my toes and yours as we talk about some of these things. Just some symptoms that can suggest that we're simply playing with the externals, but we really don't have a heart that is engaged into worshiping God. A heart and a mind that is seriously dedicated on thinking about spiritual things. As I just mentioned, how about services are boring? <laughs> so I, hear, I can hear people say that, you know, services are boring. Well, did you try or did you sit? Well, I didn't do absolutely nothing. And you can say that about any engagement or activity that we do. Did you try to put your heart into it? Enjoy the things that were going on? Or did you just sit there and you pick on the external things? And we, we have the tendency to do that. Uh, my dad had to beat that out of me. Don't, 
don't come home and talk to me how the you know the preacher did this and the song leader did that and this guy did this and you know go home and you do your rating system of today that was an 8.4 you know it could have been a little better you know we'll have to pass that on so we can get a better ranking next you know that's not what it's about that's not why we're here and that's what we often boil worship down to because the heart is not involved we sit there and go well it's time to punch in another hour Instead of thinking about this is a chance to come before God. This is a chance to engage the heart and engage the mind in worship. And these things should not be boring to us. And our minds should not be in neutral or completely just out there and not thinking about the things that are going on. Ralph did such a great job on prayer. I hope those lessons have changed your prayer life and at least... Put more thought behind the things that, that you're doing. How often you, you think about prayers? You know, prayers meaningless. What's the point? Why bother? Well, that's a symptom the heart's missing. You don't see the value of what's going on in prayer. You don't understand this is the the method of being able to talk to God. You don't understand that this is a a, a vehicle to be able to get in touch with God. You just kind of see it as, well, we're all sitting here silently, and boy, is that boring. Uh, Let's get on with the action, you know. Uh, The heart's not involved. We're just simply looking at things in an external frame. How about not reading the Bible? Well, that would really be a drag. Talk about boring. (laughs) You know, that's what we're looking at is what is your heart and what is your motivation behind these things when we talk about them? Because we can talk on and on and on about, you know, we need to pray more. We need to study more. We need to be here. We need to engage in these acts of worship. But if you don't care, if your attitude behind it is, I don't get it. What's the point? I strongly encourage you to think that you're not really truly engaging your heart and your mind into the activity that's involved there. If you don't see the purpose in what's going on. Don't come to class and won't come tonight. <laughs> Just say it like that. Why not? Don't see the point. What's the point? Why should I come to Bible class? Why should I come back tonight? Who cares? Is our mentality the, well, I've got to get my one hour in and that way God's not going to French fry me this week? Or is it because I want to serve God and I want to spend time with Him as much as I can? I want to know more about the Word of God. I want to read and I want to study. And my life is busy enough with all of the things of this world. And as difficult as it is, Monday through Saturday with work and with family and with schooling and with neighbors and with extracurriculars, with all of the things that are constantly going on in our lives, that, you know what? I would like to give a couple hours at least to God. And so often we don't even want to do that. We just, eh, give me an hour. I'm just asking to think about the heart. And I'll point, put out this one. Come late, leave early, don't care. <laughs> We're looking at every aspect of worship. Is Do you care? Do you really care? Now, I understand how things can happen. I've had my children throw up on me just before we're about to leave out the door. Walked outside, there's a flat tire there. You know, you have those things happen where it's like, ah! (laughs) I understand that, believe me, I understand that. But do you care? Do you care to be here? Do you want to be here? Or are you glad that, you know, well, at least that gives me less time. I don't have to be there as long. 
And sometimes that betrays exactly what we think in our hearts. As well, at least that limits the window so that, you know, instead of having to be there two hours, now it's only an hour and a half. Or instead of an hour, now it's only 45. I just want us to think about that. God said that's disgusting. He wants heart. He wants your want to. Think about that with any relationship that you have. You want your spouse to stay with you because they have to or because they want to? It's a great relationship if they have to. You know, honey, I'm sorry, but I'm only with you because I have to. (laughs) Great. (laughs) It's quite an abomination, isn't it? (laughs) That's the idea. God has said, I don't want you here because you have to. I want you to participate because you want to. I want you to want to sing. I want you to want to pray. I want you to want to read and to study. I want you to be here because you care about these things. And so look at the things that are on that list and think about those things, about singing, about prayer, about Bible classes, about services. Our hearts should want to be involved, and I want to just raise a a, a large red banner before your eyes that if you identify with any of those feelings, that we have to address that quickly. Because that is a, a sinking ship that can lead us into completely falling away from God. When the heart's not involved, we don't typically keep engaging ourselves in things that we don't care about. We do the things that we want to do. Put as simple as that. If you want to do something, you'll do it. If you don't want to, you won't do it. If you want to be here, you'll be here. If you don't want to, you won't. It comes down to that. I've become more and more convinced about that in my life more and more as I deal with with uh, the world and deal with my friends and things like that as I, I see it in their lives and it made, it made a light bulb click on in my mind. You know what? This is a really profound statement. We do what we want to do. <laughs> How about that? As busy as each of us thinks that we are and all of the things that are going on in our lives, we still do what we want to do. And so I'm asking you to look at what you're doing and see if your heart's involved in the things of worship, if you really care about God. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. But the, pure, but the words of the pure are pleasant. Now notice the, what Solomon says there. He says, you see, God is, is zeroing, zeroing in deep into the heart. He wants to know what's going on in the mind. You know, if my mind is tuned in on Red Lobster and how that's going to taste great later, rather than the words that I just sang in that song, you know, that really struck me in singing the song. I love mansions over the hilltop, but boy, that's a challenging song. And like the prophet, my pillow is stone. Would we still be here if that were true? <laughs> if things were not that comfortable, if we had to be sitting outside with no air conditioning, would we all be gathered around in the blazing heat still singing songs to God? I have a feeling it would be a little bit emptier in here. (laughs) That's what that song is trying to bring home is how comfortable are you in this world? Because sometimes we're getting way too comfortable. And that song is telling us, I'm looking for something better and my mansion is not here. So we have to have our heart engaged in the words we're singing into the mind and say, this is what I'm telling you, Lord. This is what I'm praising you about. The thoughts of the wicked, they're abomination. Our mind's other places. The one who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayers, an abomination. I think this is a very strong proverb that Solomon tells his son. The person who makes the choice, you know, I don't want to hear the things of God. 
I'm not interested. Just, Brent, give me my hour a week and that's it. I just want to sit, be brain dead and go on. And I want my God to give me the rubber stamp of approval and go on. Notice what he just said. God finds our prayer disgusting. <laughs> that's a tough one. We find a lot of places in the Bible where God says prayer is an abomination. You know, praise of prayer is a good thing, right? I'm praying to God. God says, don't even bother if you're not interested in the things of God. Don't bother. You're making your life miserable. You just got a just enough God to be miserable. Why do it? So think about the heart. That's what he's trying to get at. The one who turns his ear away from hearing the law doesn't care about the things of God. His heart is not engaged the prayer's abomination then. What I want to do then is just talk about how we can have a sincere heart. We've identified the problem. Solomon tells his son, God wants the heart. How can we do that? There are about five proverbs that Solomon lays out before his son to try to get him to see. Here are some activities and some, some suggestions that can help us keep our hearts down the right track. The first is to live in the presence of God. Always recognize that we are in God's presence. Notice this proverb. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. I like this proverb because how you take it kind of identifies where you are. Is that good or bad? (laughs) Do you take that proverb as a positive or is it a negative? (laughs) Negatively, God sees every place. You know, there's the negative side of it. He sees everything that you don't think He sees. He's fully aware of every sin that is committed and all the secret things that you think nobody will ever know about and you're able to hide and keep in the closet. God sees. That's the hard part of that. The good part of it is all the unnoticed Righteous acts of your service before God that gets no praise, no, no commending, no pattern back. God sees. You see how that works? <laughs> when we are doing what is right, when we are serving God with the heart, this becomes a very positive proverb. God sees the things I'm doing. Even though people may treat me badly, I'm still living the life that God has called me to live. Even though they may scorn me, I'm still living the life that God wants me to live. Even though nobody here may know that I did this for brother so-and-so and helped sister so-and-so and did this for my unbelieving neighbor, nobody knows all that but God sees. And a reward will be given by God. That's the positive end. The negative, though, is just as forceful. And we need that negative reinforcement sometimes to remember God sees. And that's to help us get our hearts right. He sees hypocrisy. He's not fooled by us plopping down in here. He isn't going to go, well, at least you were there every Sunday morning from nine thir- from, excuse me, from 10.30 to 11.40 if he got a little windy. And so every week you were there, check, check, check. Well, you know, you, you cleared the list, so come on in. And we think that's kind of how it's going to go, like we're fooling God somehow. God's examining the heart. That's what the Proverbs say. He sees everything. He sees right into the depths of the soul. That's why I love Hebrews chapter 4. It talks about the Word of God 
sharper than a two-edged sword, and it cuts right down to the very heart of the matter, down separating joints, and it separates into the bones, and it gets right in there. You have to let that Word of God do that, because God is seeing your life. And we're not fooling God the way we're living. So, live in the presence of God. Recognize He sees. And we need to be aware that He sees and change accordingly. Second, you make a commitment to God. And I think this is extremely important. Here Solomon tells his son, it is important if you're going to have a sincere heart, that the heart then has to make a commitment to God in everything. Notice Proverbs 16.3. Commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will succeed. I like how Saul, I can see Solomon saying that to his son. I can imagine him doing that and saying, Son, if you will, if you will really truly turn your life over to God, if you will think about the decisions that you're going to make and, and, and the various activities that are going to go on on a daily basis, if you will truly turn those over to God, you're going to succeed. If you will really hand them over. That's a hard thing to do, though. It's very challenging when you and I wake up tomorrow and the onslaught of the decisions come, of all the things that have to be done, home, work, family, friends, and it just piles down. It's very challenging to run each one of those activities through a commitment to God and say, you know, I'm going to do this only if this is exactly what God wants me to be doing. I'm not going to engage in this activity because that's not what God would have me to do. I'm going to cast that one out. And we get into habits, and we get into some really bad habits. And that's, that's where the difficulty comes in is we're typically doing things that we shouldn't be doing, but we've done it for so long, it's hard to break. Commit your activities to the Lord. Sit down at the checklist go, God doesn't want me doing that. I should not be making that kind of decision. This activity is not correct. This is not what God would have me to do. Think about every activity that you do. And he says, those plans should be turned over to God. You know, when James, in his letter, wrote, wrote and told the Christians there, you know, Instead of saying, I'm going to go in such and such a place and buy and sell, and, and he gives this whole life thing, you should ask, say, if the Lord wills. James was not saying that means anytime you ever utter a sentence, you should put the, the comma on the end of that and say, if the Lord wills. <laughs> but an actual mental engagement that says, okay, this is... Only if God would have me to do these things. That I'm only going to participate in things that is God's will. And if this is not God's will, there's just no way I'm going to do it. Any activity that does not match up with the will of the Lord, I'm going to throw that out. And so I'm going to recognize that God's given me a, a, a vapor of life. And that the short time that I have needs to be concentrated on only the things of God and nothing more. And that's what I think James is driving at and what Solomon's driving at. Recognize that your activities, everything, you have to put your trust in God. Your, your choices, you will have to stand before God. Similar to that is realizing that God's testing us. I 
I really like this one. This is what we talked about. Okay, you have to commit these decisions and commit your activities to God. Within those decision processes is the test. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. How many times? It's going to be a question. I, 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 hope, I hope the Lord does do Q&A for us when we get there. Because I have so many questions. And one of them is certainly going to be. Okay, now, did that come along as a test? Was that trying to test my, my faith? Was that testing the metal right there? That's why I like this proverb. Because it definitely indicates that there are decisions and circumstances and challenges that come along for the express purpose of determining where you and I stand before God. Things can be just streamlined, right? We're just just going right along. And then you have to make a tough choice. What what choice are you going to make? That's why I like this this picture here. Notice the refining pot for silver, the furnace for gold. You see where the the picture is of a a trial. This is a, a difficulty. It's hot. You're going to get get really cooked in this one. This is a difficult one, and you're going to have to make some tough choices here as to, well, I know what I ought to do, but that's a hard road to go to. I don't know, you know, and we kind of waffle back, what should I really do? There's a lot of choices that we make like that. We mentioned a few weeks ago about the need to run all of our decisions through the filter of, is it good for me spiritually? Is it good for the kingdom of God? Is it good for my family spiritually? Is it good for the congregation? And so often that's the last part of the filter. But notice here God's checking in on our hearts. And you and I make very tough decisions from time to time and sometimes on a more regular basis in our lives. How are we doing in the test how does it look before God are we failing or are we passing the flying colors that God would say look you know all these difficulties during this trauma and during this trial and during this circumstance and during this situation my servant made the right choice book of Job right I I love that it be a great feeling that God is stepping back as Satan is the accuser and accusing each one of our names and saying, if, if you will put this decision in front of them, they will most certainly fail. They will choose the wrong thing. And the book of Job, God stands back and says, not my servant. My servant is going to follow me. Lay the test out there and see for yourself. We want to pass the test. We want to be able to pass those challenges. And so often, though, when the difficulty comes, that's when we throw God out. And we think, well, God will be there later. But this is what the Lord is saying is, I've put a test in front of you. How strong is your faith? Will you continue to choose me over all things? Will you put me ahead of possessions? Will you put me ahead of wealth? Will you put me ahead of family? Will you put me ahead of your comfort? Will you put me ahead of everything that there is to have in life? Will you really do it? Because you and I will be tested on every single end of that. We think it's going to be so easy, but it's so hard. 
and will be tested on every single point. Are you really going to serve God over your family? Are you really going to serve God over money? Are you really going to serve God over possessions? Are you really going to serve God over your comforts? We're tested constantly. We're finding out how our faith is. Fourth, train the conscience. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the innermost parts of his being. It's an interesting proverb because it makes certain assumptions. It makes some certain assumptions about our spirit there that our spirit is in tuned with God. And that's why I put the phrase up there, training our conscience, so that this proverb fits the bill, that it's actually true, that our spirit then will warn us when we are making wrong decisions. When in the face of Satan's challenges, at least our conscience hopefully is raising the flag and saying, uh-uh. You know, and you get the little nerves and the, eh, I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> Training the Spirit to be the lamp of the Lord. And we can steer the conscience the other way so that our decisions don't even bother us anymore. Committing sin may not even affect us, may not even phase us. And as the things that we just talked about earlier, not praying doesn't even phase us. Wow. Not wanting to worship God. Not even a second thought. Wow. Got to train the conscience to bug us. Should bug me. It's bugged me when I've when I've been sick. A couple of times I've been sick on a Sunday. It's a very weird thing to be sitting at home at 6.30. <laughs> I had a very hard time with us laying there on the couch just sick. And I was like, boy, I'm getting kind of eaten alive by that. That's just a weird feeling. Well, that's what that is. That's training the conscience to say, this isn't feeling right. You know where you ought to be. You know what you should be doing. And we should be building that in our conscience and say, you know, it's been all day since you've talked to God. Woo-hoo. Time to talk to God. You're doing things you shouldn't be doing. Woohoo! You shouldn't be doing that. That's what we're doing in learning the Word of God is we're building that into our spirit so that as we're in the daily courses of life we go, uh-oh, wait a minute. i got to walk away from that. And if we're comfortable ignoring the things of God, we've got a serious problem in the heart. We've got the insincere heart that Solomon is identifying to his son. And so we need to wake up to that. The fifth, final one. If you have, want to have an ins, to have the sincere heart, probably one of the hardest things of all is to be ready to make correction. Listen to this, Proverbs thirteen ten. Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction, but he who regards a rebuke will be honored. You know what we usually do when we make a bad decision? Defend it to the T and make another bad one. <laughs> Compound it. That's our typical reaction. Is, well, how dare you consider that I've made a bad choice in my spiritual walk with God? 
Clearly I've made the right choice. Let me give you all the reasons why I've made the appropriate choice. And then go on living in that delusion, compounded all the more by staying the course. That's what we do. Why? Well, probably because I'm full of pride. I'm full of arrogance. I'm full of ego. That's probably why I do that. It's probably why you do that too. Is because we want to be right. We don't want to be wrong. We, we, we make a decision. We want to say that was the right decision. Everybody can look at me and say I've been unwavering even though I made absolutely the wrong decision. We do that. We see it all over the place. We see it with our friends. We see it in politics. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter how wrong the decision is. It must have been right because I made the decision. It can't be like that. This is this all Solomon's son and his son. You're going to be a mess if you live your life that way. If you refuse to own up to mistakes, you're going to be a mess. Why? Because you can't learn if you don't realize it's a mistake. You're going to delude yourself into thinking this is appropriate. This decision was fine. It was okay to put God on the side burner for a while. That wasn't a mistake. That was the proper choice at the time. So what will happen? You'll do it again. You won't learn the lesson. I think that's what Solomon's getting at here is shame. Poverty. He's getting to the spiritual and to the physical. He's covering the whole aspect. You want to live the good life now? Own up to error. You live a perfect life, right? You've never made a mistake. Yeah, right. We know better, but we don't act that way. We act like we've never made a wrong turn in any decision we've ever made. We've made lots of wrong turns. We've made lots of bonehead decisions. We've made a lot of decisions off the cuff that we can look back and go, you know that wasn't a good decision. We like to sit our kids down and go, son, God, this was not a good decision. Don't do what we did here. Well, that's good. But don't wait till you have kids to do it. Own up to it right away. I realize this was not a good choice, so I don't do it again. That decision that did not take God first, that did not consider the spiritual kingdom of God, and my spiritual condition, my family's spiritual condition, had no regard. That was a bad decision. Now what are you going to do about it? Once you own up to it, you can now correct the situation. And say, okay, well here's what we got to do to make it better. Here's what we can do now so that we can get ourselves back on the right track, making good decisions with God. We don't own up to it. We just keep, we just make another one, make another one, make another one. So I want you to think about these five things about a sincere heart before God. Really trying to concentrate on really tuning the heart in. We're going to sing a song in just a minute. Really read those words. We all know the the tunes, and so it's so easy. I do it all the time. I know these words, and so the words... You know, and just hum right through. And if I asked you in 15 minutes what we just sang, I know we'd all go. You know, <laughs> we do that. It's just, it's a habit. What God is saying is, okay, it's time to do some work to really engage the mind. Okay, I'm going to take these key lessons and I'm going to take them home and really engage the mind. Well, I really do that with the lectures we had this last week. Don't let those things just go out your ear. Try to really zero those things in into the heart. Really bolt them down. Think about your prayer life. Think about the ways Jesus prayed and try to incorporate those changes into your own life. Think about the things that David talked about, like with parenthood and raising the family and, and that kind of leadership. Boy, bolt those things in. Don't let them just leak out. 
a sincere heart engages the mind. We sing to engage the mind as the one who's going to lead the prayer this, this morning. To engage the heart, engage the mind. The worship that God wants. And uh, as we remember how the first passage we started, Romans 12.1, this is your reasonable service. This is what's reasonable. (laughs) This is logical. Anything else is illogical and irrational. What are we doing if we're not doing this? It's irrational and illogical. This is what worship is. We are giving our lives as a living sacrifice before God, engaging every element of our mind and our heart, praising and declaring to God, you are the awesome creator, and I love you with all of my heart, and I'm going to serve you with every bit of it. That's what God wants, and that's reasonable from God. Won't you make that opportunity available to yourself today? Open your heart before God and say, I'm going to serve Him with all of my heart. I'm going to obey Him. He is what matters most. I recognize the things that have, I've made these bad decisions in my life that I have not put the Lord first in these things. I've been more concerned about myself. I've been more concerned about my family or my wealth or my possessions. or what, And I haven't put God first. Own up to those things. Confess your sins to God and repent of those sins serve him today before it's too late. If you have not been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, so important. That is so important. Your opportunity to plead with God to have your sins taken away, to have God's grace bestowed upon you. Won't you have the waters of baptism wash them away while we stand here and we sing?